Lecture 10, Hagar, the story of a slave. It is difficult to conceive of the role that childbearing played in the life of women back in the time of the book of Genesis. Women were essentially not human. They were owned like cattle. Their purpose was solely for the birthing of children and their nurture and care until adulthood. A woman was a womb with a body. Her value lay in the production of her womb. If she could bear sons, she became a thing of value. If she were barren, she became a shell of a human being. This intense societal pressure made women incredibly competitive. Their value, their personhood, was measured by their children. They resented women with more children, more sons in particular. Women wanted to kill each other. Their jealousy could be that fierce. Stripped of any other means to value themselves, they fought for the scraps that men gave them. Hagar was a slave. She was less than a woman. A slave was owned as property. She was from Egypt, where either she or a member of her family had once been captured. She lived to serve and to do as she was told. Slavery was rampant, and it was an established part of Hebraic society. It was a given. Sarai's first recorded speech in the book of Genesis has to do with the state of her womb. She has aged and borne no children. Like Rachel after her, Sarai's first words are a complaint. It is God who has kept children from her. So she offers Hagar, her slave girl, as a surrogate womb for her husband. This was a known practice at the time. Abram was ordered to sleep with the girl. In the Hebrew, literally, Hagar was to sit on his lap, and as Sarai tragically says with poignant honesty, perhaps I shall be built up through her. Now remember that the marriage between Abram and Sarai was nothing like what we would conceive of as marriage today. Abram had already allowed Sarai to be given as a wife to another man in Egypt in order to protect his life. Perhaps it was at that time that they acquired Hagar as a slave. It would have been common practice for Hagar's family to sell her as a slave if they were in grave financial need. This means that Sarai herself was raped by a man and not her husband while they were in Egypt, and yet she knows not enough to bear a grudge about that. All she is concerned about is her ability to produce a child. So she perpetuates the rape and the use of women's bodies in order to save her reputation. It is an incredible example of how societal sins and oppression can be fortified by the oppressed themselves. Sarai says, Look, pray, the Lord has kept me from bearing children. Pray, come to bed with my slave girl. Perhaps I shall be built up through her. And Abram heeded the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar the Egyptian, her slave girl, after Abram had dwelt in ten years in the land of Canaan. And she gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. And he came to bed with Hagar, and she conceived, and she saw that she had conceived, and her mistress seemed slight in her eyes. Sarai hopes to be built up through this surrogate pregnancy. But what actually happens is that she becomes even less in the eyes of her slave girl, and perhaps, more importantly, in her own eyes. 
Since the value of a woman comes from bearing children, Hagar is given value when she conceives, and she looks down upon her mistress, or lessens her in her sight. This was not the result that Sarai hoped for, and she is enraged. She takes her anger out on her slave girl and demands that Hagar be cast out of the tribe. Sarai gets angry at both Abram and at Hagar, though both have only done what she asked of them. And when she turns her outrage to Abram, he is a coward and just tells her to do what she wants with Hagar. Abram, who is famously obedient to God, is also obedient to his wife. Not just obedient, he is conflict-avoidant and is willing to risk his only offspring just to pacify his wife. Abram puts not only his slave girl but also his unborn child at the mercy of his wife. He is not a protector, but truly a wimp and a coward in the face of his wife's wrath. This is the same Abram who will be willing to sacrifice his son Isaac when God demands his obedience. Is this obedience a positive quality? For centuries, Abram has been honored as the father of all faith, but what if he was a conflict avoider and a coward instead? As you can tell, sometimes this patriarch makes me mad. Abram does, not, does try to appeal to Sarai's morals when he says, do to her whatever you think is right. But Sarai is not moral, and she is not compassionate or forgiving. She is a beautiful woman and a jealous woman. She harasses Hagar so badly that Hagar flees into the desert, preferring death by dehydration over the abuse of her mistress. Hagar flees oppression and runs into the desert, heading towards Egypt. It says that Hagar stops at a spring on the way to Sur. Shur means wall in Hebrew, and scholars believe it to be referring to the walls the Egyptians constructed on the northern border. Hagar was trying to get home. While she is resting at the spring of water, an angel comes to her. Like Yahweh in the garden, the messenger asks Hagar where she is going, and she simply states that she's fleeing from her mistress. Then the angel says to her, Return to your mistress and suffer abuse at her hand. An angel tells her to go back to the place where she is suffering abuse. What kind of hopeful message is that? Is it really God's will? The angel promises that her seed will be beyond all counting, but is anything worth suffering abuse? Why does God ask this of her? We are given no explanation except the understanding that the son who will be born to her will make it all worthwhile. She will be honored in birthing a son. The name Ishmael means God has heard. God has heeded her suffering and heard her cry. But rather than advocating escape, God urges her to return to her setting of oppression and raise herself up by the birthing of a son. Ishmaelites will be known as wanderers, tough and fit. They will survive in the desert for many generations all the way until today. Hagar will call God Elroy, which means the God who sees me. For the first time in her life, Hagar is seen as a human being and not as an object. She is seen as the mother of a son and the grandmother of generations. She marks the well and names the land. It is called Bir Lahai Roy, the well of the God who sees me. It is the first time that a woman has named the land and placed her mark upon it. Hagar will return to Sarai and to Abram to have her child, and her son will grow strong and healthy, 
Ishmael, the father of nations. But Ishmael and Hagar will be cast out once again years later, for they never can be inheritors of Abram's legacy, at least not according to the Jewish tradition. Thus Sarai becomes the mother of the Jews and the Christians, while Hagar becomes the mother of Muslims. Millions of people will be divided into separate cultures, separate religious re- religions, simply because two wo- women couldn't stand to be near one another, because there was not enough love to go around, and the only way to feel love was to compete for the attention of a man and to birth sons. It was a small fork in the road, a fight between mothers as to who might inherit the blessing of the father, but the end result was the creation of two religions and ethnic groups that war to this day. To travel with to the Holy Land is to see the descendants of Ishmael and the descendants of Isaac despise one another. And for us outsiders, the animosity is overwhelming and inconceivable. They hate each other with a kind of multi-generational vengeance that spans centuries. It is rooted now so deep and so carved into the unconscious of the corporate psyche as to be almost impossible to heal. Like a huge scar, it divides the land of Israel and the Middle East into warring factions, and the earth is continuously stained with the blood of these enemies, both vying for God's favor to be God's chosen people. Who are the chosen people of God? Is there such a thing? Does God not love all creatures and all people? How have we come to understand a God whose love could be so limited as to play favorites? How could we ever think that the divine could be so petty? Jesus came to share with us another kind of love, one that does not have to be divided, one that reaches all people. But even Jesus' followers would war with other faiths and claim the sole possession of God's love and understanding of salvation itself. It seems that it is a human propensity to not believe that there is enough love to go around. Questions to ponder. When did you first experience a person of another religious tradition? How do you understand the God of love when it comes to other religions? How does the story of Hagar and Sarai help to clarify your understanding?